Wow. Well, happy Mother's Day. We're so glad to have you here at Journey Church, and I'm so honored to be able to speak with you this morning. And uh, I got to tell you, I picked that video out, but I still found myself getting a little verklempt here watching it. Uh, it's just, it's amazing to me to think about how God uses imperfect people just showing his love. And I'm the beneficiary of an incredible mom doing that for me, and I'm so grateful for her, and I love getting a chance to watch Leanne love our kids with the love of Jesus and do that in such a selfless, real, authentic way, and I'm so grateful for this community, the way we have mothers who are seeking to do that, just to be real about who Jesus is and what he's doing in their life and to instill that into our kids, and there's no greater gift that we can give them, and it's an awesome, awesome thing that we can be able to testify to. And if we have an absence of that in our life, whether it's between us and a child or whether it's between us and a parent, God is going to work in the midst of that. Thank you, Rhonda, for sharing. That was such a powerful testimony. And, you know, the truth is God's redemption is greater than what we face. We've just been in an awesome series called Grace is Greater, haven't we? It was a great time to dive into the grace of God and what it means for us as a church. And now I get the pleasure of starting a new series called Good News. You know, it, it's something that we're looking for today, isn't it? There's not a, lot of, not a lot of good news out there at the moment, but God has a lot of good news for us. You know, and, and specifically, I'm going to be talking about good news for the church today. And so we're going to look into 1 Corinthians, and we're going to dive into actually chapters 1 and 2. We're going to take a very high look. We'll dive into some different places. I'm going to summarize some things. It's a lot. I know we're getting through, but please hang with me. And I promise I'll try to go ahead and be as succinct as I can as we step through it all. But I think God has a really powerful message for us to be reminded of the good news of his church and what he's doing. And so we're going to dive into that this morning. I'm just going to share with you some of the highlights I want you to grab from the first nine verses before we read through them together. And it's Paul's description to the people of Corinth who are struggling in the church, you know, and they're running into some difficulties. And so he's affirming the good news of what God wants to do in the church that they're, that they're a part of. And he's saying that, that we're God's people first and foremost. We're not our own. You know, we don't have to worry about knowing whose we are or where our worth comes from. It comes from God. We're his, bought by a price. And he's reminding them that God is the one who's going to transform them, who's going to make them who they need to be. He's going to equip them to be ready to be part of the church, to be part of making a difference in this world, to be able to partner with him, to partner with Jesus in making a transformational change in the world around us and building his kingdom so let's read, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, right at the top. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of, Je of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his very own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ their Lord, and ours. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I'm just going to stop real quick here for a moment because we've just been talking about how incredible grace is. And we all know that it is an amazing gift of God, the grace that he has in our life. It's greater than everything that we can face. But the peace that he's talking about here isn't just an absence of conflict. It's actually a wholeness of life. It's a completeness of in Jesus. 
It's that word shalom that we hear. It's a greeting that, that Hebrew people have spoken to each other throughout the centuries. But it's so much more for us than just uh, the absence of arguments or fighting or issues. It's a oneness with God that brings a wholeness no matter what this life is facing us with. So we're going to continue on in verse 4. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's so much in here that I love and that I hold on to, but you see the picture that Paul is showing of Jesus' body at work, of the church as it should be, held together, strong, alive. You know, it's, it's hard for us kind of to to picture all those things, because we, we, we struggle with, I think, the idea of perfection in the church. Sometimes I think we feel like it rests on who we are, and we feel like when we walk into this building, we're all of a sudden in this vacuum where everything is expected to be put together and to be where it should be, you know? Uh, we can't uh, allow our guard to come down. But there's a reality, folks, for all of us that we need to let sink in so deeply into who we are that there's only one perfect person in the church. A newsflash, it's not you, it's not me, it's Jesus. And it's because of the work that he's doing, and Paul has made that clear over and over again so far in this book, as we've read it, that it's because of his work that we are perfect, that we are whole, that we have new life and transformation of life. And it's only Jesus who's able to go ahead and keep us blameless until the time that he returns. And, you know, it's hard to kind of live with that and we see so many things happening in the church at large, right? You know, whether you're looking at the Catholic church and you see all the falling that has happened there or whether you're thinking about the Protestant church, you know, where we've seen churches that should have it all together. People, if anyone, you know, it would be these churches. I mean, churches like Willow Creek have experienced failure. Both Mars Hill churches struggled with, with failure in pastoral ministry. And now Hillsong, even, with its own Discovery Channel show, is just blaring there in front of us, telling us that this picture that Paul has for us isn't what it needs to be. Well, we're going to dive into why some of those things are happening. But I want to tell you just from my own perspective, uh, something that I think is going to become clear as Paul continues to move on, that there's a way we can think about ministry in the church, our part of doing the church life that God's called us to, that's going to help us to have a, a more healthy mindset. And, and the difference that I'm talking about is thinking about ministry or church for God versus ministry with God. Now, what I'm talking about with that is, is we can tend to think, oh, well, I, I have this opportunity to do something for God, to be able to be a part of, of, of helping him in this way. You know, like, we can think about maybe even pray for Woodford that way. 
I get to go out and pray for these churches, uh, for these homes, for God. But the reality is, we are joining and partnering in ministry with God, like we just saw in verse 9, as Paul was talking. So when we're thinking about partnering in ministry with God and going out there and praying for these homes, we're thinking about what God's plan is, what he has in store, what he has to offer for those homes, for those families, for those people. But when we're thinking about what we can do, when we're thinking about our ministry for, for God in those places, we're thinking about what we have to offer, what we can do. You see, the source is different. The source is us, and we're frail, and we're going to go ahead and, and lose our ability to, to help and support people. But God is eternal and awesome and perfect, and his hope for us is greater than that. So we need to keep our focus fixed where it needs to be and be thinking about what we do in the church as partnering with God, ministry with him, not just for him. Because this isn't something we can do on our own. This isn't something we can come in and create in ourselves. This is something that only God can do. And so the people, in verses 10 and 11, Paul starts to talk about some divisions that had occurred. They had different teachers that were popular at the time because they were meeting in home churches. And so you would get to meet and you'd have like a teacher here and a teacher over at this other church, at this home church. And they were starting to go ahead and feel like, well, I'm better because I've got this teacher that I like. Or I'm better because I've got this one. And he starts talking about that in verse 12. And it says, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And in verses 14, 15, and 16, he recounts the people that he did baptize and how grateful he was that he didn't baptize many that were there in their midst. And then he finishes up in 17 by saying, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. You see, people had become bigger news to the church in Corinth than the cross of Christ. And when we hear that, we think, how could that have been the case? How could that have happened? But I want to be honest with you, and I tell you just plainly that I think we're there today. We're not in any different boat. You know, we've uh, got people who come around and are on tour, and we buy tickets to go ahead and worship with, and, or listen to, or we check out this new series by, or this new book by, and the reality is we put ourselves in a very dangerous place when we take our attention off of Christ. When we allow ourselves to focus on the worker who is blessing us with what God has given them rather than on the work that God's doing through that person. Does that make sense? It's, it's a difficult place to go ahead and be, but what I'm trying to say is we have to keep our dependency on who is incorruptible, on who is pure and holy, and there is a very, very fine line for us when it comes to this in the church because we can get so caught up in those people that God is blessing us through and get enamored with who they are and what's going on in their lives and lose track of the God who is ultimately blessing us through them. 
And it's a difficult place to be, but it's a place that is so easy for us to get into. You know, I, I'm going to go ahead and share with you an analogy that came to mind when this happened. And I'm, I'm kind of outing myself in a way because I actually like Lord of the Rings. And if you don't know that about me, you know that now. Uh, there's no taking it back. It's out there. Uh, I've read some of the prequel books. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm basically a nerd is what I'm saying in some ways. So, but if you can show that first picture, there's the movies that came out, and I, I loved watching them. I loved going into them, seeing how they did it, stuff and what worked together. And you see two people at different sizes because that's necessary for the story. That's necessary for the movie. And it's incredible how you can look at that and you just see these two people sitting next to each other. But to do that, they had to have a camera at just the right perspective. And they had to hold it in just the right place because what it actually looks like, what they're sitting on, is this. You have someone way higher, way closer to the camera, pushing away, and it's called a forced perspective. And what that is, is a perfect analogy for us in the church. Because the only way we work, the same way that shot worked before when they were sitting next to each other and it looked like one person was bigger than another, is when we keep Christ where he needs to be in our church. When we keep him as our central focus, when we keep him as the bigger, more important thing, when we're more excited about the good news of the cross of Christ than we're excited about the good news of the people who are blessing us. And the reality is, if it's just a few degrees off, if we allow ourselves just to come out of step a little bit, it breaks down. And the shot's no good, and it's not something that's going to help people tell a story. And you know what? The church becomes something that's no good. And it starts pulling people towards a solution that isn't big enough for the problems that we face in this world. You know, there's something that we call that when we start to get focused on the created rather than the creator, right? It's called idolatry. And it's nuts to think that we could even come to a place where we would have to face that in the church. But the reality is, it can be something much more subtle than having a little idol in front of us that we worship or pray to. It can be simply allowing our mindset to be focused on those things that we as humans appreciate. When we see someone who has it all together, who's living it the right way, who's speaking these things that are inspirational, that you know, dig deep into who we are, and they transform us and encourage us in the Lord, it's easy to say, man, I love that person. I love that guy, that gal. Man, they're so great. And we can start to think from a human mindset and get stuck in this place where we're focusing on people who are going to fail us. And at that point, when we've allowed those people who are blessing us with God's strength to be bigger than the God who has given them the blessing for us, it's only a matter of time before Satan's won. Because neither you nor me has what it takes to hold ourselves strong and blameless until the time that Jesus returns. That's only God who's faithful to do that. And we know that that's true because that was what was spoken in verse 9. So we're going to continue on because this now becomes a picture of where are we at? How are we living? Are we living in this worldly perspective? Or are we living into God's perspective? The Spirit, are we seeing what he's doing for us? And Paul talks about this 
in verse 18, where he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And in verses 19 through 23, Paul goes on to support this by explaining how the sacrifice of the cross confuses and offends those who are wise by the world's standards. You know, we don't want to think that we could actually be in a place where we're helpless, where we're lost, or where we're broken. I mean, that smacks right in the face of the American dream. No, we're going to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, and we're going to make something of ourselves and do everything that needs to be done. Well, what does that happen when we stand before a holy God? In that moment, there's nothing you can pull yourself up by. The game has changed completely, and we have to be careful that we don't let that natural human perspective that comes so easy, that worldly perspective that thinks about things from what we can do, what we have to offer, what can we affect the situation with, happen. But instead, by faith, we step into the spiritual perspective that God's given us as believers. Since the Holy Spirit has come and given us new life, we can, by faith, press into what he has for us and start to be thinking about what God can do for us, what he's working in our lives what he's bringing about in us. And that's where the real power of the church is. That's where the real power of God's body together rests, is when we start seeing his work through these people and praising him for what he's done. You know, I want to dive into verse 24 because Paul's going to start unwrapping this a little bit more for us. He says, But those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Therefore, as scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. You know, we can tend to get into this rut where we think, oh man, if we can just have, I'll just be honest, if I can just have a worship team that looks something like Hillsong or looks something like Elevation Worship, then man, I'll be really successful as a church. Well, man, if we could just grow to have like maybe another service or more people coming in, then then we would be really successful as a church. If we could just look cooler and just wear the right clothes and be hip enough to be like, you know, whoever's out there on TV and getting all these book deals and all those other things, that's what real church is. Man, that would just be incredible if we could do that. But the reality is God's power in the church doesn't have anything to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. It has everything to do 
with who Jesus is. You see, we don't prop up God's power in the church. No, we make way for it. Because he is the one who equips us. He is the one who perfects us. And he is the one who provides through us to this world and to each other. So we can't let Satan trick us out of having a dependency on Jesus and substitute that for a dependency on anything else, any person or any organization that can ultimately fail us, where God won't. You know, and even the good that we do, that we want to go ahead and take credit for, or we want to praise in someone else, that's the result of God's goodness in their life, of Jesus' work in them. It speaks more to who he is than it speaks to who they are. Because God's working on all of us to make us holy, right? And it's because of his progress in us that we're able to go ahead and live out that way. So we need to be really careful about where power and progress is recognized in the church. Who is it attested to? Who is given the glory and the praise for that progress, for that power that we see in our midst? We as a leadership need to be pointing to Jesus and to do that clearly and openly. And are we pointing to the work that God is doing through these people or are we allowing ourselves to point simply to these people that God is blessing us through? We need to keep these concerns in mind in the church. And I know it may seem like an overestimation, but it's not. It's what Paul did himself when he went to the church in Corinth. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. See, God doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. He needs us to make way for him to do what only he can do. God's truth speaks for itself. I love that story that Randy shared last week when he was talking about that missionary that came to that village and wasn't able to actually even share his message, but all he left was his Bible. And they coated the walls with the pages of the Bible as they were trying to recreate their house. And because they were trying to learn and read English, they read the pages of the Bible and they were saved. That family and that whole village, not because of anything other than that man's faithfulness to bring that Bible to that place. He wasn't even able to speak out of it. But God used it because what he does and what he is about in this world can't be opposed by the powers of darkness. Because what he's doing is greater than anything that we can create in ourselves. His word never returns empty-handed. And sometimes, even when we have, when we try to do what only God can do, when we try to recreate that, in the people that are around us, when we try to be who God should only be for other people, we dilute his power because we're a poor comparison to the power of Christ in people's life. Shame on me if as a minister, I try to be your solution. You need Jesus more than you need Dan, way more than you need Dan. <laughs> it's just the reality I can only go ahead and shine as bright as I can 
as I hold up that reflection, that mirror to who Jesus is in my own life and allow you to see him at work. It's not because of how perfect or how good I am. It's because of how amazing he is. And so if that's the case, then we have no excuse when it comes to sharing Jesus with the people he's placed around us. Because if it's not about us being perfect and having it all together, but it's simply about showing people how Jesus makes a difference in me and he can make a difference for you too, then why am I not opening my mouth and talking to my neighbor who I know is struggling or speaking to that coworker or talking to that mom in Carline? Why am I not willing to simply just share who Jesus is for me and how he's working in my own heart and life? We all need to remember that God's doing this in us and that we have a responsibility to be testifying to the truth of what he is working in each of our lives for his glory and for the good of the people that are struggling around us. And we can remember too that we're not alone in the midst of doing that either. In verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul explains that when he's uh, among mature believers, he does speak more profoundly of God's wisdom, the kind of wisdom that doesn't come from us, but from God. And in verse 9, he says this, That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit, For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Do y'all know you've been freely given something? Do y'all know that you have the spirit of God in you? You know, Sean was talking about this before. There was just that one priest who could go once a year. We have direct access to God. His spirit lives within us, and we can know the deepest, most secret things of God as we seek him and allow him to build into us. I mean, imagine that message that you heard that was the most God lightning bolt of your life. You know, we've all had those moments, if we're sitting here in church most likely, where we've spent some time and God's just blown our minds with his truth and changed us from the inside out. Now, remember that that person can only tell those things to you because they were revealed that by the Holy Spirit that lives in them. And that same Holy Spirit that was in that person who shared that with you is in you and wants to reveal God's truth, his secrets, the amazing things he has imagined and planned for us that we can't even comprehend to us on a regular basis. And so I'm going to leave you with three things today. Three things that are good news for the church and also good news for us. And the first is just that. That through the Holy Spirit, we can know God in the most incredible way. And we just read about how that's true. That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed those things by his Spirit, for his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. When was the last time that you heard a word from God that you really just held on to him and just waited for him to speak to you? 
We can t- find time to do that. Maybe it's in a commute where you spend some time praying rather than listening to the radio or having a conversation or you're actually listening to the word. There's so many different apps that we have where we can actually hear God's word speaking to us. I want to challenge us to reach out to God and allow him to speak to us because we're leaving so much on the table when we just simply allow these moments on Sunday morning or those times when we listen to another preacher or another speaker to be the moments where God is speaking into us. He wants to have a real relationship with us, each one of us. So are we leaving that on the table? Are we stepping into that on a daily basis? The second thing I want to share with you is that God's power is at work within his church to enable us to be holy. We read in chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, God has united you with Christ for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. And Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. You know, this is why we at Journey are all about moving people on a simple journey towards Jesus. Because honestly, he's the answer for our problems. He's the solution for this human problem that we all face. And we need to be more focused about are we following closely after him than are we dealing with how people are viewing us or seeing us. Am I having that perfect face that makes me feel like others can see me and, and look at me as you know, someone who's got it together, who's a, who's a good Christian or a good believer or a good person? Really, the only good person that's in our midst is the one who died for us and gave his life for us that we just celebrated and remembered. And it's because of what he's done that we now can live into that holiness and that pureness and that freedom from sin. You know, and the final thing I want to share with us is probably why I think the church is experiencing so many issues is that we aren't alone on this journey. And we're not supposed to be alone. It's good news for us. God's given us the church. We can be growing with each other, blessed by each other, allowing him to work into our lives because of the people that he's working in that are sharing just the truth of God and how they're working, uh, how he's working in their life and how that blesses us. You know, in verse 12, Paul adds a final division to his list where it said, I follow only Christ, as you see that. When I read that at first, I was trying to figure out what he was saying. But I think what he's talking about is that we're not meant to be lone rangers out there on our own with Jesus. We don't need anybody else, just me and Jesus. We're good to go. That's not his plan for us. We need the church. We need the fellowship that we have with each other to be reminded of that. They needed to have the teaching of Paul, Apollos, and Peter, and Christ, and to just appreciate the goodness of God's body at work and alive and recognize that the body's head is Jesus. And he's the only one that we need to be worried about and simply thankful for everything else that's going on. You know, but there's a reason why people were breaking up with these factions. It's because Satan can't touch the salvation that Christ offers. He can't touch the transformation. We've been freed from sin. We don't have to worry about those things. So what is he going to do? He's going to attack us the one thing that he can attack. He's going to pull away at us and try to get us to break down. 
if he can just get us to focus on the wrong thing, to have the wrong perspective just by a bit so we can break down the power of Jesus in our lives, transforming us, renewing us, and growing us. Because he is faithful. God is faithful to hold us blameless and strong until his return. And the church can do that as long as we keep him at the center and not these people that are around us that are going to fail. I'm going to fail you at some point in time. With everything within me, I'm going to be pursuing Christ so that the failure I have is minor, not major. But it's by his strength that I will be who he's made me to be. It's by his strength that we will be as a church who he's made us to be. I know I've been through a lot and we've gone through a lot, but I just want to ask you to take this time in prayer and to consider, God, is there anything that I've let subtly sneak into my life that has become a barrier between me and you? Is there anything that you have been working through that I've allowed to become greater news than who you are, Jesus? And we need to hold those things loosely and let them go and instead hold on to Jesus and allow him to be the head of our church, the head of this body, the one that we glorify and praise. Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for this chance to just center ourselves in you. Lord, I know we've been through a lot this morning. We've gone through a lot in your word, but I pray that we would remember the ultimate truth, God, that you are the one who authors and finishes the faith that is within us. That you are our source and no one else. Jesus, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would draw us to you, that you would help us to, to take this time in prayer and in worship to just get ourselves in the right place so that we don't open ourselves up to, to Satan's attacks, but we stay firmly fixed in who you are, God, as our source and our life. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.